You know what I love about sports and what I love about the internet and Barstool is like, I think there's a lot of people and companies that just want to manage up. And what my frustration as a woman and as, as like employees, like the guys were always better at managing up. Like I was never good at managing up. I was good at managing around me and making things happen. And I think that that's on a sports team, like you can't manage up. Like you got to yep. either are genius and you're going to get the goal or make the save or you're going to move the ball up and down the field. And I think that analogy applies like exactly to the Internet and exactly to business. Here we go. Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports. She's a passionate, many would say hardcore New England sports fan, and one of the trailblazers of the internet. I'm lucky to consider her a friend, definitely a mentor, and frankly, one of the most inspiring people I've ever met in media. Highlights. After changing her career trajectory out of school, going from legal to advertising, she took a $35,000 pay decrease, by the way, which if you're a first-year professional, that's gutsy. She was long on this thing called the internet, while everyone else in the advertising industry was long in print and television. But make no mistake, her road to the top, where she has now took guts and grit, years of creative, risk-taking work product that ultimately culminated with her being hired at Barstool, which is one of the highest engaged platforms in the world that also spits off the most daily content across new media. On the podcast, Erica and I discuss her road to CEO, including her collegiate lacrosse career, by the way. She was a lacrosse goalie. How she continues to think into the future of media, hiring top talent, her 90-10 thesis, and why Barstool can't stop building new IP. Suiting Up is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools, and strategy of the most influential people in sports, entrepreneurship, entertainment, and media. All right, on to my conversation with Erica. So at Barstool Sports HQ with Erica. Hi. So excited to be here excited to be here with you. You and I connected over Twitter. I outbounded mm-hmm. you about two years ago and you responded immediately. It was right when you were brought on as the CEO of yep. this company. And I'd read that New York Times article on you and found out that you were a lacrosse player at Colby mm-hmm. and and a goalie there. Yep. Um, so we'll, we'll jump into that. All but right. for me, it, it, it was so indicative of how you always tell me that this business is being built for the future of media. That's how you've positioned yourself is how media is going to be consumed a decade from now, two decades from now, and you're always forward thinking, and to be able to have a conversation with a CEO of one of the largest media companies in the world instantaneously over Twitter was you know, oh, so awesome. in- indicative of, of that strategy. I so was equally psyched. Yeah, yeah. So early days at Colby, you weren't sure if, or you probably weren't even sure at all that you were going to get into advertising. In fact, you were studying econ. And- yeah, totally. I was a sociology major. Um, and a philosophy minor. And I interned, I guess the summer of my junior year, maybe. I interned in Boston. I like lived on like a mattress on a floor with like 16 girls and, you know, a bad apartment in Brighton, uh, Massachusetts. <laughs> and basically, I, I was like, oh, shit, I don't have an econ degree. I don't have a business degree. Like I, I have nothing that's going to yeah. prepare me for the real world. Like I've read a ton of books. I've written a ton of papers. I can nail that. But um, so I went and hustled up and took a bunch of business classes. And when I graduated, I went to work for Fidelity. I thought I would be a lawyer. You interned there too, right? I did. Yep. Yeah. I interned there. Um, it was an awesome experience, but wasn't ultimately for me. It was very corporate. Um, financial services is highly regulated and extremely conservative as an industry. And I just didn't find my place in that. Like, I did see that if you worked really hard, you could, you know, 
there were rewards to be had, but I could get all of my work done. And basically then I just spent like the rest of my time like documenting in email what we did at night and on weekends, which is probably in hindsight, not the best use of my time. (laughs) Um, And then went to work in advertising, which, you know, at that time the internet was very, very young. This is early 2000s or late 90s. And, um, you were cautioned by HR. This, oh, not to do it. Yeah. Because yeah, you they, took a big pay cut. Totally. Right? Yeah. I went to like made $15,000, like racked up a ton of debt. And, but I couldn't find my soul in the legal part of it. And I loved the business part of it, but protecting something against risk was just felt very conservative. And I felt very stifled versus creating growth, which was something that I was more interested in. And advertising at that time was you know, a place where I could be creative and find growth personally and then also certainly for the business. And then the internet, nobody wanted to touch it because print was very sexy yep. and a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal was something to, you know, tout around and be proud about. And Yeah, Madison Ave wasn't hiring no, people to go work in the internet. No. Yeah. So, you know, I got to do a ton you know, I got a ton of experience very early, made a ton of mistakes, learned a lot, did a lot. And no one was really watching because the internet wasn't as interesting and power. It was always as interesting for me, but from a business perspective, it wasn't what it is today. Right. Where do you think you got that work ethic, that drive from? When you you went out for the lacrosse team in college, which is very rare, people bow out in high school. They don't say, hey, let me get this. You were waking up at 4 a.m. to practice. You know, you, you, you dive in out of or dive out of legal into advertising, yeah. figure that out. So where did that come from? I've always liked to work. Like I um I just have always liked to work. My dad worked really, really hard. Like I think my dad was you know, I remember my dad was a high school principal and was going in his, you know, we had a family and he was also getting his doctorate from CU, you know, in his quote unquote spare time. So I just, I always saw my parents working. Hmm. I saw my dad in particular trying to better himself and, and accomplish something in addition to like having a family and having a job. And I, I don't know, I just always took that on. And then, you know, what I saw when I was in high school and college was, you know, the harder you work, the more money you could make, the more experience you got. It kept me very, you know, like stimulated. Um, and I just found my place in that. And, you know, picking up lacrosse at Colby, you know, it sucked for my dating life. Like it's being lacrosse goalie is the least sexiest thing on the planet. Like you look like you just don't look good on the field. It's very hard to, yeah. to win. You're soaking shots. You yeah, you're just, your thighs are like black and blue. Like it just was not a good. Got a look. helmet on. No one else has yeah. helmets. <laughs> totally, everyone's in a short skirt. Like uh, it just was not a good look. But I loved it. I had a I had a coach. Um, you know, two coaches who really supported me. I it was my field hockey coach. It was my lacrosse coach. I loved her. She asked if I would do it. Um, and something just grabbed me with it. I think it's an awesome sport. I liked being in control of the field. I liked being able to connect with my defense and yeah. you kind of have great perspectives. So yeah, that and, was that. And what about sports in general? You you grew up in New Hampshire, so there's a direct tie to where you are now with Barstool. Yeah. You played sports growing up. Do you do you see that crossover between what you developed as as an advertising executive in media and marketing and funneling a lot of narratives through athletes and sports? And why are sports so compelling? Totally. I am a huge advocate for sports. I, 
you know, John Steinberg asked me this of, you know, team sport or individual sport. And I was like, team sport 10 out of 10 times, because I think the lessons you learn in a team sport are just things you take with you forever. How to win as a team, what it's like to lose, you know, how do you handle losing uh, grit and worth work ethic and also, you know, passing the ball, getting the ball and just the locker room, you know, Barstool gets criticized for being a locker room. I, I spent the majority of my college career in a locker room and a female locker room is not that different than a male locker room. And the camaraderie you get from that, the family you develop in it, and also the idea of building to something bigger. And, you know, in the case of a sport, it's winning or a championship or just being good or beating your biggest rival. The spirit of that and the humor that comes from that is just awesome. So Yeah, talking about corporate culture or at least culture, whether it's in your locker room in sports or with your company, it's it's something that uh, is overused, overstated often, and you end up walking into a lot of companies that are regimented and feel the same cookie totally. cutter. And, and obviously here, coming through here and, and spending some time here with you previously to shooting this podcast is, uh, it, it's clear that the culture uh, for Barstool is really important and you've maintained that from taking the position totally. a few years ago to, to now. Yeah, I mean, Dave set an awesome culture for himself and for Barstool and we've been able to continue that. I, I think culture is really important. I also think believing in something and make having there be something bigger than yourself is really important. I see that, you know, it's funny, I interviewed someone last week and, you know, he sent me a follow-up note and explained in the follow-up note why working at Barstool would be so great for him. And I was like, I get why this would be great for you. Like, how about coming here to make this thing great and huh. and making it something bigger for everyone? And I, you know, it's funny, I have some colleagues who used to make fun of me because even when I was in big corporate places, when I was at AOL, when I was at Yahoo, Demand Media, we had a big quest because we wanted to IPO and that was exactly like being on a sports team and it was all about one shot. We had one shot and I loved that. But I always tried to find bigger meaning and the team of it all and to be part of something. And, you know, I think Dave set that out with Barstool from the earliest stages and we've been fortunate in that we've been able to you know, work really hard to keep that spirit and with stoolies and with our fans, like we're in this, we're in to make something bigger out of it. Yeah. And and you were captain of your sports teams growing up and we talk about this leadership now, but right out of Fidelity, you were with Arnold and were a mm -hmm. VP and managing a small team and then Yahoo and AOL overseeing global teams. Yep. So what is it about a 23-year-old being able to manage 12 people at a, a budding technology yeah. and, and digital advertising agency? It was, you know, it was an awesome experience. I worked really hard. I always felt like I had to work harder or as hard or harder than everybody else um, just to earn my stripes and to earn the spot that I was in. I always felt like a lot of responsibility on that. I also, you know, made a ton of mistakes and and learned a lot. Like I remember, you know, I worked for Microsoft and I had a global team and, you know, most were men and, you know, being a white woman in Tokyo in 2001 and trying to call the shots on business, people were like, shut, shut up. Like yeah. nobody cares. You know what I mean? So it was like humbling, also humbling. And then I was also like, I got to figure out, I got to figure this out. So, you know, I had a lot of you know, I had a lot of great experiences early in my career, a lot of opportunity that I was really focused on figuring out and 
and learning my way through things and, you know, having integrity to what I wanted to build and what it, what I wanted to accomplish. And then also a real desire to like bring people along for that ride and to learn from people and to grow with people like that to me has always been the most inspiring thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I can identify with the hardest worker in the room when, when people in, in organizations and sports see that you, you, you instantaneously give them respect. I've, I've been on the side of, of giving that to, you know, athletes and totally. people I work with in the office. Um, but communicatively when you're in Tokyo or you're at Yahoo or, or the CMO of AOL, do you have any tactics specifically around you know, either getting people to follow when, when you're leading a, a boardroom meeting or, you know, speaking to executives individually? What are some like principles yeah. that you have? Um, you know, I think every person is different and, and there's a lot of different ways to do things. I find, I try to be a really good listener and I try to be very understanding of the dynamics in any place or any room. The second is, I think, having integrity to doing what you say and saying what you do is sounds so trite, but it's actually really hard. Being consistent is tough. And I think that people want consistency and, and pe- to, to go with people who are trustworthy and who they can depend on. Um, I also think pushing. Like I think you've got to push to win and... I think there's I've my most unsatisfying moments have been in places where I want to push and people don't want to push like they want something safe and Mm. to go home at five o'clock and to go on to whatever other things like and that's always been super frustrating for me. Um, So, you know, creating something where you can push towards the next goal, you can and you can articulate what that goal is and get buy in to get there, because I think generally people want to be part of something that's winning or part of a quest. Yep. Um, so I, I've, that, I think consistency is an important one. I think communication is an important one. I think identifying what winning looks like and then also just being empathetic and you know aware, self-aware and just aware of what the dynamics are. Yeah, you were you know, obviously more consistent than most having really what, what I drew out 15 years from start in internet and advertising to... CMO now CEO of Barstool, that's that's a lot of grinding and a yeah, ton of a consistency. <laughs> totally, and yeah. and I think a challenge, and I don't know how articulate I'll be around this question, but a challenge in today's day day and age is there are creators everywhere. They're starting at a younger age that are hyper creative, and I mean one of them's in the room here, Brett, who I've been working with for a long time now. Suck, and, Brett. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and and. By virtue of those skill sets, because of new media and tech yep. being a part of their their upbringing, yep. um, there may not be, or, or for, from a CEO's perspective, you know, how do you handle the 15 years of work that, that you did in the, in the kind of the soft skill development mm-hmm. that you have to make sure that a lot of the younger employees here or just across the board in advertising and marketing, or it could be in any form yeah. of business, how, how that's communicated, how that's appropriated properly yeah I think I think it's a lot like sports like you got to show up you got to show up every day and you got to like show up to play like I remember I played field hockey with this exceptionally talented woman but she was just a game player right like she could she could have given a shit about practice and like 
it was annoying because you couldn't, you know, it, it was wasn't annoying. Gamers. Yeah, yeah, gamers. Like, yeah. she was a gamer. And, like, she she was awesome on the field. But it was also, she she called it in, you know, 90% of the time. It was exceptional in the game, which was awesome. And we needed that. But my thing on a career is, like, you got to be a practice player as much as you're a game player, in my opinion. Hmm. I, I also think, like... In the internet, everyone wants to be famous, right? Like everyone wants fame and and attention, and I think fame and attention is earned. Like it's you know I I have a lot of empathy for creators, including the guys and girls at Barstool, whereby to break through right now is so hard. Like you, so. it's so hard. Like you look at Dan Katz, I think is one of the hardest working people on the internet. Period. Like Big Cat is an not only an exceptional talent, like a great gamer, but he grinds on Twitter every single day, every single night. Like you know, the Rams Raiders game went till I don't know 12 12.30 last yeah. night, and like he's on Twitter. He's on Twitter this morning. Like he. So I think that there's, you know, I think people think that. People think like, oh, I can be famous by being cute or being funny or being personable or being, you know, this, that or the other thing. But in reality, it's a like everything is a grind, whether yep. you're a creator, whether you're an accountant, whether yep. you're a business person, whether you're in marketing, like where I came from. And so I think, you know, the things for me in, in having a long career is like keep, you know, I'm realizing I'm rambling on this, but like having something you believe in working with people you love and who you support and support you and push you and vice versa and then being consistent in the grind i've got a question for you are you hiring and if so do you know where to post your job to find the best candidate on building a great company one of my advisors and business partners also my older brother mike says that we believe people build businesses not an Excel spreadsheet, not a business plan. We believe the people we hire will end up making our company successful. Cue ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful tech efficiently matches the right people to your job description better than anyone else. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It goes out and finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. And with results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address. That's right. It's free. You go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. That is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash C-R-O-S-S-E. One more time. Try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. You, you were talking about Big Cat and his consistency, and we've now we've, we've said this word a bunch, and I think it's really important if you're listening to jot it down, is, uh, is we see this in sports. There are, and, and you all have done it with your pro athlete program, mm-hmm. You bring an athlete on who has an audience. It's exciting to start a podcast. Totally. It's exciting to start a YouTube channel. Yeah. Use those two because they're probably the the biggest yeah. lifts yeah. in way of you know planning and post production and totally. publishing. And I see it all the time, and I, I work on it with my peers and and uh, and people outside of the sport. Is like launching this thing. Step one. Totally. It's difficult. 
but in the grand scheme, it's the easiest part. Totally. Continuing to push out content, like you talked about Big Cat doing, is is where so there's hard. a big differentiation. Yeah, I mean, you know this better than anyone. You have like a full-time gig, you're on the road, you want to win, your mind's in a bunch of places, and then you're like, ah, I got to record the pod, like yeah. I got to get a <laughs> guest. A like, it's like, sometimes it sucks. <laughs> like, we laugh here because everybody wants a radio show. Like, everybody wants a radio right. show until you have a radio show. Because yeah. when you have a radio show, you got to show up at a certain time, at a certain place every single day. And it's it's te- it can be tedious unless you love what you're doing. And like, in your case, you love what you talk about. You're interested in the people you're meeting. So, you know, you got to have something that you love that's bigger than it or something you're interested in. But- it's a grind. Yeah. Like it's a job. Yeah. And and so is being the CEO of of a of a budding early stage business and and taking it through the, the next stages as as you've done. When you came in, uh, the business had twelve people and three podcasts. Now there's seven hundred plus social accounts, I think probably twenty two or twenty three pods. Yeah, twenty two pods. Twenty two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Over two hundred pieces of content that go out daily. Yeah. Across video, blogs, audio. Now we're going to talk a little bit about linear and other strategies yeah. that you have there. So you, you've taken this thing to another level, but to get this position, you went through the same interview process as 74 other male candidates. Totally. It was through Churnin Group who kind of introduced you and, and your previous role as president CRO at Backstage, then coming in here. What were some things, we'll talk a little bit about and you've mentioned some of your interviewing, mm-hmm. but as being the interviewee, what were some of the things that you kind of laid out there to say, hey, I'm, I'm the right person for this role? Yeah, I, um, when the Chernin, I had gone to the Chernin group with um, the CEO of Backstage and we had gone to raise money for Backstage and they had mentioned like, oh, we just put money into this the brand you've never heard of as, you know, blog you've never heard of and I was like oh I have heard of Barstool Sports like yeah. I love Barstool Sports yeah. and I'm from New Hampshire I'm like this sports. is my world yeah. and they were it was a little awkward because we we're having another meeting but I just really just couldn't shut up about Barstool yeah your CEO is probably like what the fuck what the fuck like yeah. what are you doing you are ruining this meeting we're never gonna get any money from the charity group like I hate you um but I was so impressed with the Charon group that they saw they saw a barstool because being a New Englander and loving sports and having that sense of humor, like, you know, what Dave and Dan and Kevin Clancy and Keith Markovich, like what they created early days of Barstool was spectacular. Yep. And frankly, I modeled a lot of what we did at Backstage on Barstool. Like I always had Barstool in the back of my head. Um I don't think I'm a great interviewer, to be honest with you. Like I I met a you know, I had a mutual friend with Dave, a woman named Betsy Morgan, who's also a Colby grad. Um, and she's actually interestingly starting her own type of chair and group company where they're launching early stage media and content brands. Hmm. Um, I met Dave. I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous about it. And I wasn't sure, you know, I just wasn't sure. I didn't know what I just didn't know what I was going to walk into. And I loved him. And I thought that he was brilliant. And where we really connected was like the potential of commerce for Barstool and the potential for content and the idea that there needed to be someone who didn't come in and ruin this thing or change it or suffocate it, but 
enabled it to grow. And like what I'm so impressed about with Barstool is like we just have phenomenally hardworking, talented people here where if you give them a green screen or you give them the resources, they go go. like they just go. And I I think that that is electric. Um, And, you know, went through a lot of hoops, met with a lot of people, you know, the things that I thought Barstool needed to do would be to, you know, were to diversify its revenue streams to solidify an operation, like to be able to do more than just the blog, to move into, you know, I remember getting here, no one lived in New York, or, you know, two guys lived in New York, David just moved to New York. So we, you know, we moved everyone here, like we kind of brought this thing together and we're like, let's see how it goes. And I remember the first thing, we were like live video, like hadn't really done live video ever. They did a daily Skype show. And it was like, let's attack live. Like Facebook Live had just launched. We were starting to see big momentum from Periscope. And like, what can we do here? And we just kind of felt our way through it, to be honest. Um, But what I felt Barstool really needed was someone to enable the genius that had already existed and to be able to scale it and to build an operation around it that honored the best parts of where it had come from and to be able to take that to places it just hadn't been. Yep. And you helped them from your experience doing this, especially with AOL and Yahoo uh, and and their kind of sub-brands like totally. HuffPost and, and, and Stylist and the likes. So you go long on intellectual property, which in, in media means, hey, we need to have brands that can stand alone, yep. that have their own core audiences. Yep. And, and different than, say, a lot of media companies that just continue to push out scattered content that lives under the mothership. Totally. This is you know, sub-brands yep. that have their own value and their own kind of meaning. So when you think about that or maybe whiteboarding it, you're saying, okay, our, our biggest franchise in audio right now, pardon my take, million downloads, mm-hmm. we're going to build out other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Do you think about you know cannibalizing your own audience from time to time and and or is it a, a, a method of growth and getting out to other people with different dialogues? Uh, it's a great question. I think that um, there's a couple ways I think about it. One is that I think that we intimately understand an 18 to 34-year-old guy or girl. Um, and now we have a footprint whereby we see, you know, if you look across all the Barstool accounts, there's thousands of DMs every week of just kids sending in videos, guys sending in videos, girls sending in videos, stuff we should know, stuff we should look at. So we see what is culturally happening. How many people do you have filtering that? I mean, probably like 10 max. Yeah, wow. And that's just the, you know, that's the cool thing. Like, I remember being at AOL and there'd always be this question asked of like, who used the product today? Like, who used AOL Weather today? Who went to the homepage? Who went to this, that, or the other thing? And the answer was always a shameful, like, silence because no one used the products we created. And that was, you know, that that was hard for me because I'm like, if you don't love the product you're creating, what, like, what the fuck are we doing here? But it was a really big company. These brands were very old and very, or not always old, but very established. And the thing that's the, the thing that's so real about Barstool and that any brand that's creating com- content in an internet age is just constant and it's real time. And if you're not intuitively into it, you're not going to understand it and make it grow. So I, I do sometimes worry that we're creating too many brands around too many topics that simultaneously with not enough support. But 
I also think, you know, Dave and our entire creative team have been really good about sussing out like which talent has it. And those talents have strong voices that can find new audiences. And I, I think there's no one better than that at Dave. And, and we've been able to be successful in actually growing audience. Yeah. And, and so a great example of that, I would say, is with Rhea and Fran totally. and Chicks in the office. So they, yeah. were, they were interns. Interns, yeah. And, and how, what was that moment where, you know, or was there where you said, hey, do you guys want to have your own show? Or did you just sense this vibe that they had and this level you know of comedy and we, friction between liking sports and not liking sports? I think we, Rhea was Caleb's intern and Fran, I want to say was Smitty's intern. And I think they sat next to each other and it's the same place they still sit today. And I think they just started bouncing stuff off one another. Fran's a huge sports fan. She's an Eagles fan, which is unfortunate, but uh, she's pretty awesome otherwise. And uh, Rhea is not a sports fan. And they, we have a merch closet downstairs, which you've probably seen, like all of our merch sits in it and they, nobody was using it. And they just went and started to film videos that they put on their personal account and it just slowly started to grow. So it wasn't, you know, I've said this before, but like, I think at most companies, someone like me is telling someone like a Rhea or a Fran what to do. And we, we actually don't do it that way. Like they, the talent organically finds stuff. Dave has ideas for stuff. Big Cat has ideas for stuff. And we just let it organically percolate. And that's why I think it has a better chance to succeed because it's not cooked up by a set of data or a business person it's actually they want to talk about, you know, Miley Cyrus, Noah Cyrus. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. what they want to talk about today. So that's what they're talking about today. Yeah. You, you've said this a bunch where we're, we like people that have that are funny and have a point of view. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of funny people on, on the Internet, but the point of view jumps out Harder at me. Harder to find. Yeah, it's much yeah, more difficult to find. to find. And so that's what you're essentially looking for in each of these brands is a subset of point totally. of views and yeah. something you can build off of. In the merch closet. Yes. That's been a, a big part of, of the commerce. Yes. Part yep. of, of uh, yep. your JD and coming yep. in here and 35,000 units sold at, yep. in Black Friday in 2017. I won't ask what your projections are for 2018, yep. but big. <laughs> <laughs> how do you all uh, how do you all get behind merch and, and is it a product of great content? Is there some sales strategy inside of it? There's... Um, it was always a product of great content. So when Dave started Barstool, he wasn't getting a lot of looks from big brand advertisers. There, there wasn't. He had a, he had a really talented sales guy who worked with him, but there weren't. There just wasn't a system for getting ad dollars. And I don't, you know, I I always think about Barstool as like Barstool made it and was never supposed to make it. Like nobody thought this brand was going to be what it is today, and was frankly like disparaged and kind of diminished from a corporate point of view. And, and to your point, it's never going to happen again because of this moat around social and how hard it is to build an audience. Totally, totally. So he, you know, Dave created a social norm whereby he's like, I'm putting a t-shirt on sale and if you don't buy the t-shirt, I'm going out of business. And then he would do a happy hour and is like, if you don't show up at the happy hour, I'm going out of business. So it just created this instant connection of like, if you like what I, it created a value exchange between the audience and the creator uh, which is like business buzzword for it. But basically he was like, look, I can't do this if you don't show up here because then I won't have any money to do it. Yeah. And we've kind of kept that connection. You know, I think I was so psyched. Like I was on Twitter last night and um, people create merch really organically here. So like Liz Gonzalez, huge Aaron Rodgers fan, like loves the Packers. 
Aaron had an extraordinary game on, you know, Sunday night. And, you know, lo and behold, Monday morning, she has a shirt on sale. Like, Casey Smith had a shirt yeah. for Tom Brady on sale. Like, nobody's like, make the shirt, but they do it. And now we're putting a lot of science behind it, whereby we understand if you're buying the Green Bay Packers shirt, you're probably also buying a Pardon My Take shirt, and you maybe bought a ticket to, you know, a rough and rowdy and, you know, in Minnesota or whatever, but yeah. you, we can see the connection of what you're doing and we can create products that are better suited to our fans and we can also make it easier for them to buy. Yeah. Great, great executives can set goals, but also empower uh, the folks on the ground to just take action totally, and, and build business, as you had mentioned with the Aaron Rodgers t-shirt without even any of yeah. the direct reports seeing it. Um, continuing to rev the, the barstool engine here. Uh, around Dave's early days of saying, hey, buy a t-shirt so this business continues to go, come to happy hour and other events that he was hosting. Uh, the unique position that you're in now, having got a lot of the traditional advertisers and digital over to yep. Barstool, is that that audience is that you guys have, from my perspective in hearing this, is uh, already conditioned mm -hmm. to support That's Barstool right. and its extended family, totally. which is probably a part of the advertising and sales pitch that Deirdre Lester yeah, is doing as a CRO. Totally. And, yep. and, uh, and so do you see that as really advantageous? It yeah. sounds like it would be. 100%. Like that last week was the podcast up front, right? So, you know, I think I, I'm long on podcasting. I think podcasting is going to be a very big business. I think it will it will eat up radio is the most effective one of the, one of the oddest things i learned from music was radio radio is an exceptionally powerful medium and it's ex an exceptionally powerful medium because one when a dj or a host says buy this do this or wear that it's it's word of mouth it it converts like word of mouth barstool is like word of mouth in mm. frankly most every single thing we touched by virtue of the way it was started um but podcasting has that same ability because you have a personal connection with you in this case. Like you're like, Paul says to do this. Like I'm going to wear New Balance. Like Paul wears New Balance. I want to be like Paul. So there's a direct connection. And so net net, like last week was the podcast upfronts. And, you know, we kind of ambushed the upfronts because we weren't going to be invited to anything official. And that's fine. So I was like, hey, let's like do a party in a bar the night before and do a live show. Because that's what we're about. Like at the end of the day, this company is about content. So let's have people come see this content. And one of the best quotes from the night was, you know, hey, if an advertiser wants to be safe and a media buyer doesn't want to get fired or to have to have a tough conversation, they are going to buy ESPN or they buy Fox. Yeah. If they've got to move the needle on their business, they're going to buy Barstool Sports. And I, I'm really proud of that. Like it's, I, I think that we pound for pound will perform yeah. and we take that really seriously. Yeah. And so I, hopefully we'll continue to work for brands. Yeah. That, that resonates with me. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've tried to over time, uh, build some like fraction of the connectivity that Barstool has with their audience and, and myself with the lacrosse audience. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a powerful piece, but there's two elements to securing a sponsor or an advertiser. And, uh, and one is that you mentioned where, you know, you have to have a really strong relationship with your audience such that the, uh, risk adverse employees or advertising yeah. leads at a brand is going to take that. But the other piece to that is it usually has to be displaced programming from something else. Yeah. 
And that's what people, I think, miss is that in sports, whether it's across properties or in digital and advertising uh, on different platforms, is that budget's got to come from somewhere totally. else. And yeah. and there's a little bit of luck. There's yeah. a little bit of underperformance that you're banking on other totally. people doing. I think that there's like, I think the leagues are in, and you and I have had this conversation, like the leagues are in a good place. Live sports matter, sports matter, culture matters, and personality matters. And, you know, I think everyone is looking for quote unquote things that break through. And I think what, you know, what's the hardest thing, which, you know, Dave has done and all of our guys and now all of our girls is that this is a brand that's broken through for 15 years. Like that's a long time to keep that going. But, you know, I don't know how much of your audience is like an, is ad savvy, but basically you can buy anything now programmatically. Like you can find an audience, the computer is going to give you an 18 year old guy from Boston, Massachusetts, this, that, and the other thing. What they, so the, the brands and the IP that's going to break through are things that you can't get to through a computer. Like you can't get to the heart of it. You can't get to the game of it. You can't get to the the drama of a win or a loss or mm-hmm. the personality and the kind of unexpectedness of a bar stool. So, you know, I think that that's why things are really changing is that the, you know, technology has disintermediated or commoditized a lot of the way that media businesses used to run. And now there will be a new crop and there's a new crop of leagues and there's a new crop of personalities and there's a new crop of digital first brands. And I just want this company at the forefront of that. Yeah, I like that. The the unexpectedness, because you know I've said this before on the podcast, but what Ted Leonsis says around sports and, and obviously he's partial to it as an owner of multiple teams and, and in some cases leagues uh, is that why why live sports are the most powerful form of original programming is that you don't know what's going to happen 100% but you're creating content here yeah. as well that you, you don't, don't know, know what's, what's going to happen. happen totally and they don't know what's going to happen and that's what the other thing with live sports and like this is why I'm such a sports fan is is one you're like in it together like you're rooting for yeah. you're rooting for Paul. Like you're in it together. So you're in it with other fans. You're in it with the player. You're in it with the team. Like I feel that way about the Patriots. Like I'm in it. I'm in it with other Pats fans. Or it doesn't even have to be sports. Like I always use the example of like fish fans, right? Like you mm. see another guy or another yeah. girl, and you're like, you're a fish fan too. Like we're immediately connected because we like fish. So there's something in like being all in it together, which sports has, and I think Barstool has too. And I think that that's what's hard in a social era, which is it's so individual, right? Like yeah. most influencers you see are individuals, they're not part of something that's greater. And therefore it's hard to, it's hard to keep that grind going and it's hard to keep the business going. But hmm. I think that's what's so cool about sports and that's what's cool about the internet and, and about us. Yeah. We started this podcast talking about the Times article, and I tweeted at you, back to the Times article coming full circle and closing this thing. is is It's obvious that you think outside the box, and you're a critical thinker, you're imaginative, you're creative. One thing that jumped out on me early part of that interview was when you look at people that you've worked with, that you've admired, you, you kind of split them into 90-10. Yep. So 90% of your workforce does X and 10% is capable of doing Y. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, totally. So I caught a lot, a lot of flack for that article, obviously. Um, but I loved it. 
I, it's all right. I was like, hope my parents would be proud of it, and then became like a texting employees on the weekend nightmare. But um, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I wrote you back on Twitter. It worked out. Um, but uh, yeah, inside of three hours. Yeah, exactly. So. Hit the window. You could have hired me. Um, uh, what Can't was afford I? you. Yeah, no, no, maybe. Um, I'm actually not that expensive. Um, but anyways, I think um, so. Like the ninety ten thing is. Um, I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room. I screw up all the time. We screw up all the time. Like I, I've like really been purposeful about working hard and, and being a good partner and being a good employee and being a good leader and trying to learn as much as I can and do as much as I can. And I think most people are like that, like that you've got to earn your way. You've kind of, it's brick by brick. You take a step at a time and you, you do your best to get to the next place. And those people, and I was in my career like super conventional like I didn't have the guts like Dave to go give up the job he wasn't into and go start something with no visibility into the future and no certainties and no guarantees and frankly a lot of downside and a lot of risk like I didn't have that guts when I was 21 years old the way he did and I I really admire Dave for that um but I think when you when you look at a company or you look at a team you have, you know, the majority of people are very predictable and dependable and you can, you know, you're kind of muscling your way through things. And then you've got your gamers, right? You've got this 10% player that isn't going to conform, that doesn't either get the rules, care about the rules, know the rules, but they bring something really, really special. And I find my experience has been that the 90 percenters hate the 10 percenters because they don't conform. They don't show up at 9 a.m. when you're supposed to show up at 9 a.m. And they don't get, you know, the TPS report done the way the TPS report is supposed <laughs> to get done. But there's something there's something genius about those who really think differently. And what I've always sought to do is like, how do we put all these people together where the 10 percenters can just, you know, accelerate and like they're just like keg powder like they can ignite something they may not be the ones to see it through and yep. that's okay but like so that that's kind of how I think about it which is you have to have both because you have to have people who are explosively imaginative or explosively brilliant or creative or smart or whatever it may be like you need that yep. and then the 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 thigh muscle of the group and the the 90 percent can like carry things forward and so I try to always find that chemistry. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, a, a really interesting way to think about it and, and to kind of have your back here. There's there, Why I like that is, is there are so many different ways to think about hiring, to think about management, to think about team on field, totally. um, in, in the office. And, and it's never just binary, like this is the way it should be. And I know your intention is to say like, this is only the, the two types of people in the workforce. Because there are people that are able to do both. There are people totally. that have that genius and are grinding out every day and big cat yeah. being one of them yeah, it sounds totally. like uh, yeah but like you're one of them in your field and i think that you know what i love about sports and what i love about the internet and barstool is like i think there's a lot of people in companies that just want to manage up and what my frustration as a woman and as, as like employees like the guys were always better at managing up like i was never good at managing up i was good at managing around me and making things happen and i think that that's on a sports team, like you can't manage up. Like you gotta yep. either are genius and you're gonna get the goal, 
or make the save or you're going to move the ball up and down the field. And I think that analogy applies like exactly to the internet and exactly to business. And you know, I think it's if that's what people should aspire to. Yeah. Well, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. So fun. If you enjoyed Erica and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. And you can follow and mention us on social media. Her Twitter handle and her content, it's all outstanding. It's at EKA Nardini. You can be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with Erica's colleague, media exec, entrepreneur, and investor, the CEO of Complex, Rich Antonella. His and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you are listening to this pod. Also, when you find us, please hit subscribe and give us a rating and review. On this medium, that stuff goes a long way. It's your show of support. Check out this episode's show notes at suitinguppodcast.com. And thank you to our show's sponsor today, ZipRecruiter. You can try your free trial today at ziprecruiter.com forward slash cross. Have a great day, evening, and week ahead, everyone.